Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Surely you love the grace of God, how it's poured out upon us. I, you know, as we've been worshiping this morning, I'm just overwhelmed with the sense of the grace of God. And this truth, there's a lot of truths about the grace of God, but this is what was striking me as, as the choir and John and the band have been leading us. That is, the grace of God is inexhaustible. It's not like you come to Christ and you use your portion of the grace of God to get saved. That's it. It's done. Account empty. Now you've got to work like crazy. It's not even as if uh, you're saved by grace and now there's grace to sustain you. But, you know, if you, if you mess up often enough and if you stumble often enough, you keep coming back to the grace of God, forgives and grace. And at some point God says, nope, no more grace. No grace for you. The grace of God is inexhaustible. We never come to the end of it. We never see the depth of it. We never experience the breadth and the height of it. We live in the grace of God, and we're surrounded by it. And should we travel to the outer reaches of infinity, we would still be surrounded and in the very middle of the grace of God. It is inexhaustible. And this is why we're, we're reading is we want to make sure that we are preaching this gospel of the grace of God. Not a gospel that says in grace God saves us, now in works he deals with us. Not as the false teachers said when they were coming into Galatians that yes, it's fine, you become a Christian by grace and faith faith and accepting the, 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 the promises of God, but, but now there are things you must do. You must keep the Jewish laws, the Sabbath, the dietary laws, the, the ritualistic laws. You've got to keep all these things to identify as a Jew. You must do these things because after all, if you don't do them, then God is not pleased with you. And somehow the grace is dried up and now you must work, 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 work. Paul says, absolutely not. Did you notice with what energy and with what vigor that he has opposed these teachers? He says, look, you're not even in the ballpark. If you're preaching a gospel other than that of the grace of God in Christ, then you're anathema. You, 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 you don't belong here because this church, this body of Christ is all about grace. You know, that's why Paul was so confrontational with Peter. You remember that, that Peter was fine in fellowship with the Gentiles, with the non-Jews in the church there in Galatia. And then some false teachers came in from, uh, from Jerusalem and they started saying, you've got to keep the Jewish law. And, and Peter even backed away from fellowship with other Christians because of this law thing. And suddenly the law became a barrier between them. And, 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 and Paul confronted him. He said, Peter, how can you do that? How can you insert legalism and religion and works and merit where God intends there only be grace received by faith. Peter, how can you do that? 
And then Paul goes on and he sort of weaves this, this tapestry of how it has always been grace. You know, even going back into the Old Testament era, and you go back to Abraham and you see that it's grace, that Abraham just believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. It's been grace all the way through. And, and, and so he says, you know, we're living by grace, by grace, by grace. And, and there are some folks who say, hallelujah, it's by grace. Now I can do what I want. And Paul says, time out here, not so fast. When you fall in love with Jesus, you want to be like Jesus. And when you fall in love with Jesus by the grace of God, you want to live out who Jesus is by the grace of God. And what that means is you're not going to live out the desires of the flesh that is the the natural person who wants to do his or her own thing, but rather you're going to live out the Spirit. You're going to walk in the Holy Spirit of God, guided by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, defined by the Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit of God is leading you each step of the way. And so instead of giving into and living out the desires of the flesh, you're living and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit producing this fruit in you of the love, the joy, the patience, the, the kindness, the goodness, and you know, that the Holy Spirit's at work in you. And that's why you don't just go off and do your own thing because grace not only sets you free from sin, it sets you free from selfishness and the desires of the flesh, and it sets you free into Christ. You know, when you come to know the grace of God, you just love Jesus with a passion. You just love him so much you want him to be exalted. There's no greater goal in life but this, that others would see Christ in us. So we've been singing about grace, and I I just so appreciate that. The inexhaustible, unending, always working grace of God. Now, it's important that we preach this. It's important that we preach this because the gospel we preach will determine the church that we are. What it is we proclaim will determine who we are as a people, as a church, as the body of Christ waiting for the groom So we're careful that we're preaching the authentic gospel, not a gospel that is just sort of a thinly disguised veneer placed over a political agenda, or not a gospel that would turn the Christian faith into one of legalistic religion and and, uh, finger-wagging and and those kinds of harsh things, not a, a cheap sort of gospel that talks about, well, God loves you no matter what, and he does love you no matter what, and so whatever you do doesn't matter. It matters to God. He loved you so much, he sent Christ to die for you. That's how much he loves you, and that's how much he cannot stand to see you abide in your sin and to abide in the deadly um, vortex of sinful desires. That's how much God loves you. He, He loves you too much to leave you where you are. He sent Christ to bring you up to where he wants you to be. And so this gospel that we preach cannot be a thin gospel, a misdirected gospel, a disguised gospel. The authentic gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for your sins, and by the grace of God, we are made new again. And that's what we preach, the grace of God. You know, living in that grace, we too often overlook the church. We overlook the fact that the church is the one great untapped resource for Christian living. You know, we're called to live by grace, but too many of us think of the church as just sort of a place where you go and recharge your batteries. Have you ever said that? I need to go to church to recharge my batteries. You know, sort of like I, I pull in and I plug in for a while and I get zapped by the Spirit and then I go out and I'm shaking for a while and after a while it wears off and by, by the next Sunday I'm ready for another Jesus fix. So I go in and I get recharged and then I go out again. You know, we, we, 
we kind of view the church, the body of Christ, this fellowship that is ours, we view it as kind of like a restaurant. You know, this is a restaurant where we come in, we sit down, we have a meal, we're filled, we're satisfied, we go out, leave the restaurant behind. Then a little bit later on, we need some more food, so what do we do? We go find a restaurant, doesn't matter which restaurant, unless you own the restaurant, but, you know, <laughs> but it doesn't matter to us, you know. And so we go, and we're just going to eat something, and, you know, maybe we'll have a little fast food, and we'll just turn on the television, get our favorite TV evangelist. <laughs> maybe we'll do a drive-by meal, you know, we'll, we'll just go through the, the, uh, the window, and we'll just get something real quick, and we'll eat in the car, and, and that'll be our, our fix of grace for the, for the week. Or maybe we'll actually go to a sit-down restaurant, you know, the wait staff and everything. When, uh, when we're done, we get up and leave. But we, we, we view the church sort of like a, a restaurant where you go and you get something to eat so you can do something else. The church isn't restaurant. The church is home. The church is a place where you get fed because it's the place where you live. Robert Frost was no theologian, but in the poem, uh, Death of the Hired Hand, he says uh, something like this. He says, uh, I should have said that home is the place that when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Home is the place that when all of life is falling apart and you don't know where to turn, home is the place you know when I go there, they have to take me in. And it's not a compulsive thing. It's, it's, it's not as though it's, it, it's, it's a drudgery thing, but rather home is the place where they've got to take me in because home is the place where they love me. Home is the place where they care for me, and they care about me. So when I say the church is the home, folks, the church is the place that when you've got to come here, when you've got to go there, we've got to take you in. And it's not because we're being forced to take you in, but the love of God constrains us. It is the love and the grace of God compels us. We've been overwhelmed with this magnificent, inexhaustible grace of God to the point that when someone comes in and they're hurting and they're wounded and they're doubting and they're questioning, we have to embrace. Why? Because Jesus Christ first embraced us. And his grace has first of all been showered upon us. So this Christian walk is a, is a walk of grace. It begins in grace. It continues in grace. And the body of Christ, the church, is a place of grace. It's where grace should just be just rolling around, all around us, because this is the body of Christ. Now that's the context, I think, in which Paul writes Galatians 6.1. I mean, I'll confess to you, when I first looked at this verse, uh, it, it was kind of academic for me, um, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, okay, do my, my exegetical work and go into the Greek and find out what this means. Well, uh, if anyone is caught, well, the word there means, well, King James translates overtaken. It's the idea that someone's life has been ensnared in sin and, and either sin has, has reached out and with its clutches and drawn that person in and now they're, they're locked into a pattern of life that is, that is uh, being degraded by trespass and sin. Trespass is violating uh, the law of God and going against what God has told you. It's, it's, it's falling off to one side of the path where God wants you to be. So uh, this, this kind of transgression um, is, uh, 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 is, is there and, and you who are spiritual, you who are the nematicoi, as, as it says in the Greek, those who are walking in step with the Spirit, fulfilling everything in, the, in chapter 5, 
you ought to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Well, we talked about gentleness, fruit of the spirit. So I did all that exegetical work. Okay, it took a lot longer than that. You know, but I got into the text, you know, so okay, here, here's what it's saying. All right. And I was pretty sure that this was a text about church discipline. This, this, what Paul was saying is, look, look, folks, when you're in church and somebody's messing up, you need, you need to restore him. You need to go back and summon him and save him as a burning brand. Uh, you know, uh, you, you, you got to reach out and do that. So I was pretty sure it was about church discipline. So my mind immediately went to Matthew 18. Yours did too just now. And in Matthew 18, 15 uh, is where Jesus said, if anyone sins against you, and I pulled out my Greek New Testament. I looked at the footnotes and I found out that Sinaiticus and Vaticanus do not contain the words against you in the oldest codices, copies of the New Testament and read about, you know, going back and forth. Is, is this, okay. Jesus said, if anyone sins against you, go. Go to him. Talk to him. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. There's a lot of wisdom in that, by the way. You know, rather than letting things fester and letting things just sort of, um, uh, you know, spiral downward, you know, go and, and have a loving conversation with the person. By the way, it, it really isn't about somebody who annoys you. Um, it, it, it really is about somebody whose life is in peril, whose sin is of such an extent that it, it is drawing them away from Christ. You know that, don't you? Well, anyway. So uh, Jesus said, go to him, talk to him. If he doesn't listen to you, go and get two witnesses. You know, now that's either witnesses to come to make sure that you behave yourself when you're talking to this person, two witnesses to say, yeah, um, you, you are violating the law of God. You know, it, it's sort of like an intervention. I mean, when you think about it, there's the first intervention. Uh, you know, you, you sit him down, you say, well, you know, I really, really love you and I really, really like who you are, but uh, some things that you do are bothering me and, and, you know, it really hurt when you do this and some, it really hurt when you do that. And so you have this intervention session and, and maybe you can gain it back that way. Uh, if that doesn't work, then you haul him in front of the church. You, know, you bring him up in front of the church. You single him out. Brethren... Our brother is a sinner. Will you confess your sin? Notice I'm not pointing at you, Dave. <laughs> Will you? It's this plant. This plant is about the worst sinner I've ever seen. Now, will you confess him? We all rise up as one. And if they don't, there we, we run them out of town on a rail. Um, so um, that, that's where my mind went with this text in Galatians, that it, it surely must be about church discipline and, and how that ought to happen and, and so forth. And I, I know these things come up. My dad was a chaplain in the Navy, as many of you know. And about once a year, a sailor would come up to him and say, Chaplain, uh, my buddy owes me money. I sold him a car. He said he'd pay me. He hasn't paid me for the car. Um, chaplain, I went to him just like the Bible said, and he won't give me the money. Now you come and make him give me my money. That's what the Bible says. Of course, Jesus said, who made me a judge over you and your brother? So that's, that's where I am. That's where I'm going on in this passage. You know, somebody's doing wrong, and I've got I to help them out. I've got to square them away. But the more I looked at it, the more I realized that 
Matthew 18 is about church discipline. It's about what happens when a believer in the body is sinning in such a way to bring uh, disrepute and, and uh, shame upon the body of Christ. And so for the sake of the body and for the sake of the, of the brother, you go and try to gain them back into a believing lifestyle, a grace-filled lifestyle. And if that doesn't work out and they still insist upon embarrassing and shaming the church, then you treat them as someone who really needs a lot of prayer and a lot of work. You treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. So and that, that's more like what um, Matthew 18 is about. But as I'm looking at Galatians 6.1, says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him the spirit of gentleness. You see, and where I started with this was I thought, okay, I see a brother. They need restoration. I'm going to go restore them. And then, um, the, the, I, you know, the, the spirit just says to me, Wayne, you're standing in the wrong part of that verse. You're not standing in the right, right spot. See, I thought I was in the second half of the verse. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, that's me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the spiritual guy here. You know, Read my Bible, pray, love Jesus, walking with the Lord. I'm the one who is spiritual here. Spirit says, that's not you, Wayne. Look earlier in the verse, you'll find yourself. If anyone is caught in a transgression, if anyone is discovered in sin, if anyone is spiraling out of control, I don't know why it was. Uh, for some reason, I, I just felt led. I, I said, well, I think I'll spend 60 seconds and just list all the sins that I'm really working on right now. You know, temptations in my life. No, I'm not going to tell you what they are. They are absolutely none of your business. You know, um, I'll give you one. And this, this is like the lowest level of the lowest level. I mean, this, this is the simple one. You know, uh, when I get cut off in traffic, I hardly ever pray for that person. I do invoke some things, but it's hardly ever prayer. Okay, and I, and I deal with that, I work on that. So that, that, that just gives you the kind of thing. So I said, I think I'll, I'll spend about 10 seconds, uh, 60 seconds, and, and see about, you know, how many of these things am I struggling with that, that somebody could come out and point out to me? Folks, I quit counting at 10 and I had time left over. You know, it just dawned on me. I'm the guy that needs someone who's spiritual who will be gentle with me, who will be caring with me. See, when I'm in that kind of situation, I don't need somebody to come and tell me everything I've done wrong. I kind of like know that. I'm kind of like aware of that. Oh, I'll fight you on it. You know, I'll, I'll say, hey, you know, back off, buddy. You want to talk about me, I'll talk about you. You know, that, that, my, my attitude will be, well, who are you to talk? Who are you to judge? I might even say things like, well, go ahead and tell me what's on your mind, but let me tell you this, if you keep going right now, I'll never talk to you again as long as I live. By the way, that's a good one for getting people to stop talking to you. <laughs> now, that's, that's what I'm going to do, but deep down, the reason I'm fighting you on it is because I know I'm wrong. And the Holy Spirit's already doing that work of conviction. So what I need is not someone to come out and say, you know, this is wrong, don't you? You know, that's absolutely wrong. You're, you know, you're, you're a terrible witness, terrible example. You're doing all kinds of harm to the church, and your kids are going to turn out bad. 
That, that's the reason, by the way. I don't need that. I need someone who comes and who's gentle with me. You know what a gentle person does? They act like Jesus. I need somebody who'll come down and get to know me first the way Jesus knows me, who sees the deepest, innermost aspects of my heart and knows that sin is sin, but understands the context and the dynamic that can, that can make somebody weak or inattentive or careless. I need someone who will listen to me before they speak. And when they speak, they will talk about the grace of God, and they will talk about the glory of the Father, and they will remind me of the promise of the Spirit. I need someone who will be gentle with me because that kind of person is going to come and, and they're going to have a long-suffering attitude. Uh, they're, they're going to have a patience with me the way Jesus does. And I need someone who will come alongside and be gentle with me because they'll say things like, when we get up from here, I want you to know I'm going to walk with you and I'll never desert you. Because that's what Jesus did for me. Now, go back and read this verse. Suddenly, do you see grace oozing out of this passage? I mean, it, I, don't, I don't think I am. I don't think I'm reading grace into it because, folks, grace is everywhere in Scripture. Okay. But here's, here's grace. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual... You who are following in the footsteps of the Holy Spirit, you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You make sure that the body of Christ is the kind of place that when someone is wounded and broken, when they've fallen and stumbled, when their life is in absolute shambles and they feel like they've got to go somewhere, you be the kind of church that loves them so much that when they got to come to you and they got to go to church, you got to take them in because the love of Christ constrains you, demands it. That's grace. Now, uh, uh, Paul there, he says, now, um, you who are spiritual, you restore such a one like that. You know? And, of course, in my mind, uh, th that meant, well, how do you restore someone uh, who's, who's fallen and, and, and struggled like that? What do you do? Well, naturally, there's going to be three ways that you restore someone and a poem. And the three ways will all be in alliteration or something, you know. I want to tell you folks, I had an entire sermon written that I threw away when I realized I was on the wrong spot in this verse. It's not about how do you restore them. Holy Spirit will give you that. It says restore them. It's not just a one-shot deal. I got, I got magic words. I, I, I read a book and I can fix your problem. Well, I can fix your problem, but you won't listen. But, well, here's, here's how restoration works. It's more like this. Uh, you, you know, you've ever, ever been around small children? You know, maybe some of you used to be a small child. But, you know, when, when, when children are, are, are little and they're learning how to be a human being, 
you know. They're, they're learning how to have, have social graces, get along with people. They're constantly doing stuff that is absolutely atrocious. And they're, they're standing and jumping on the couch. They're running through the living room. Uh, they're, they're turning things over. They're, they're, they're taking their little mints out of the wrapper and throwing them down on the floor so the pastor can pick them up all day Monday. I mean, they're doing all kinds of things like this. I mean, this, this is what children do. Now, folks, if people, if, if, if this child is still doing that when they reach the age of 26, then you've got a problem. But they're only five years old now. It's not that big a problem, but you do need to deal with it. But nobody in their right mind thinks you're going to solve it by one little lecture. I mean, really, parents, did you think it would, it, that's all it took? Kid runs through the house, hits the table, knocks down the lamp, breaks the lamp. You grab the kid by the collar and say, don't you ever do that again. Child says, oh, I didn't know it was wrong. Yes, I will never do that again. And they never do it again. Does it really work that way? <laughs> I was going to say the next week. No, the next, not even the next day. Okay, so the, you know, the next hour, they're running through the house again. And you're saying, slow down, you're going to break something. And the next day, slow down, you're going to break And the next day, and you keep at it, and you keep at it. Why? Because you love the child like crazy. And they can't do enough bad stuff to make you stop loving them. But you love them so much, you're not going to quit correcting, reproving, and helping them along the way. I think that's what Paul has in mind when he said, you know, if, if, if there's a brother and he's caught up in sin, he's been overtaken by sin, there's a brother and he's struggling with sin, now's not the time to, to browbeat him. Now's the time in gentleness, walking in the Holy Spirit to restore him. And if that takes just one session, praise God. And if it takes the rest of your life, praise God. Because we're in this journey together. And we're walking this thing together. You know, the one of us who has the absolute perfect record, you know, gets the right to lecture the rest of us. But barring that, all we have is the right to say, do you know who Jesus is? Have, have, have you seen him today? Have you walked with him today? Have, have you shared with him today? You know, the incredible thing about restoring people is that it really is just a matter of sharing Jesus with them again. Um, um, for some reason, Jesus solves all kinds of problems. And so Paul says, look, uh, someone's there and they're struggling with sin. And, and, they're, and they're, they're really hurting with it. And they're hurting themselves, their families, the church, whatever. You who are spiritual, if you really want to walk in the footsteps of the Holy Spirit, don't reject them and don't decide that you're going to write them off as a human being. Don't decide that they're somehow they're, they're, they've done something so bad that, that I, I, can't, I can't even tolerate you. But rather, you in gentleness, in, in, in a spiritual way, you restore them and help them come back to where they need to be in Christ. I think that's what it is. I think that's what he's talking about. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to do this quickly. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Understand that uh, you may be the spiritual one in this particular situation, but you're not above temptation either. And you're not above stumbling and falling either. Your life has not progressed to the point where you are living in perfection and the devil is going to leave you alone. Keep, keep a watch on yourself. 
Unless you too be tempted, there's, there's a lot more about that, environmental things and so, but, um, but basically, you know, understand we're all in this thing together. Bear one another's burdens. What he means by that is someone's bearing a burden of, of dealing with temptation, with sin, with wrongdoing, with a life that's fractured and broken. Let's bear each other's burdens. Let's help each other along the way. On a good day, I can carry maybe half my burdens, okay? Most days, I need help, lots of help. So let's bear one another's burden, but notice how he says it. And so fulfill the law of Christ. It's not a written law, it's not a religious thing, but we're fulfilling the law of Christ who said, here's how the world is going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. The world's going to know that you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, someone is hurting and wounded. You get down and you sit with them and you talk with them and you share with them. You help them up and you walk with them. And you restore them, not by your great wisdom and strength, but by the work of the Holy Spirit through you, pouring out the grace of God. So that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. That's what he means by bearing each other's burdens, helping each other along the way. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If anybody thinks that he's in the um, the last part of verse 1, be careful because you're probably still in the first part of verse 1. Did that make sense to anybody but me? Just be careful because you're deceiving yourself if you think you've arrived to such a point um, that, that you don't need help. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself, not in his neighbor. In other words, let, let everybody just sort of uh, mind their own store in this regard, understanding that when I stand before God, he's not going to listen to the fact that I'm better than that other guy. My boast isn't that the other guy's worse. That's what he means, the boast is in someone else. It's not going to be that, God, I was so great that I brought other people along. He says, no, God is going to look at your life. And that's what he means when he says, for each one will have to bear his own load. Okay, so there's the, we bear each other's burdens in this life, but ultimately before God, we must be found faithful ourselves. So here's, here's what we have in this passage. I think we just have an an outpouring of the inexhaustible grace of God in our life together. So that in the body of Christ, in the First Baptist Church of Waldorf version of the body of Christ, if someone has to come here, joyfully, we have to let them in. And we have to accept them and love them. Because that's what God did for us. That's who Jesus is. And our greatest desire is to make Jesus known. That others would love him, adore him, worship him, serve him for the glory of the Father. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you. I just thank and praise you that uh, when we come to the word, Your spirit is the teacher and the guide and the one who leads us into the truth. Father, I thank you that as we come before you, we don't come in our own strength, but we come by your grace through faith. For that person here this morning who has struggled in life and who's fallen perhaps many times, I ask for the work of your grace 
to open the eyes to bring to Christ. And Father, give us hearts of compassion that we would love others as you have loved us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.